I think my favorite, if I had to pick my favorite Halloween song, and it's kind of a stretch to call it Halloween. That's a good one. Warren Zevon, Werewolves of London. That's a good one. Uh, But you know what the great thing about it is? These songs all get the one day a year where they all come back and they sort of have a bit of a splash and it's happening right now. Werewolves of London, not so much. Last time I checked it, it only got up to number 49 on the iTunes charts. Ghostbusters, though, has cracked the top 10. So uh, let's have a chat about Halloween music. Joining us is Eric Alper, freelance music publicist and a Sirius XM radio host. Uh, Eric, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you being here. Oh, thank you. I hope this is a scary, miserable time for you, too. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not at all. We're having a little no, bit of fun. it's all fun and games. Look, did you ever think that you would be listening to Ghostbusters 35 years later? Of course not. There'd be no reason to if it weren't for Halloween, right? And that's the thing about these songs. Like, a lot of them, you'd never hear them again if it weren't for Halloween. No, and that's probably, you know, one of the very few holidays that you can get away with this. Because for Christmas and the holiday season, it literally starts on November 1st uh, when Mariah Carey (laughs) tweets that Halloween is over and it's her time now. So, but for Halloween, you really have 48 hours to to kind of get all your sales, all your YouTube views, all your TikTok videos up there. And then on November 1st, nobody really cares about it anymore, which is why we're seeing the iTunes chart just blow up in terms of successes. Like Monster Mash is number five. You know, Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters is eight. Thriller is nine. This is Halloween is 10. And so next week, all of these songs will pretty much be off the chart. Are you surprised that uh, Monster Mash has made it up to number five. I mean, it's. It, it, I mean, sure, it's once a year is the only time you're ever going to hear it. But number five, like it's ahead of Thriller and Ghostbusters and all those ones you mentioned. Yeah, it, it's mostly because I think Monster Mash is such an old song that um, grandparents know it, parents yeah. know it, teenagers know it. When it hit number one back in 1962, it was kind of, you know, after 1963 and the Beatles came along, I, it, it did okay. I mean, certainly, you know, they were probably making a million dollars worth of royalties every year, which is not bad, but it took something like TikTok to bring it back to a whole new generation where it hit the Billboard Top 20 all over again last year, and it's probably going to stay there every year, like the Mariah Carey's All right. I Want for Christmas is You. Every year, Michael Jackson Thriller is going to come back on yep. the Hot 100 along with the Monster Mash. And this. Like, which I think is the greatest Halloween music. But that's also charting on the... I mean, people just love this one, too, right? Yeah, you know, and, and it's so it's so spooky. It, it it's is. one of those, like, moments where it, it puts you back into the first time that you heard it as well. It, it It's one of the good ones. And one of the ones I wanted to ask you about, Sarah, do you have Rockwell? Do you have that song? Can you play a bit of that... Um... Great song, Eric. And, of course, we now know that that's Michael Jackson. Here's the thing. Yeah, you know, wait, how wait, did that wait, happen? Jackson. Yeah, Michael Jackson's Thriller was it was an incredible um you know from the from the very get-go that 
a 14-minute video can be played on much music every hour, it seemed, when it was at its popular and its peak. So in hours, you know, a quarter of programming on MTV in the U.S. and much music here devoted to one song and one artist was simply astonishing. We'll never have that kind of again. And the video was just so elaborate oh. with the choreography and the costumes. And it's the first video to actually be in the National Registry in Washington. It was just that much of an influence. It was like a film there's no question and and, anyone it it just lives on but how did he come to sing up sing um background vocals for rockwell rockwell was a music producer's kid or something like that how did do you know the story behind michael jackson being on that track yeah rockwell is kennedy gordy who is the son of the motown founder barry gordy (laughs) and when kennedy wrote the song and he put the demo together Barry Gordy really didn't have a whole lot of faith in the sun, but then when he heard somebody's watching me, he signed him immediately, and then it was Kennedy, which then changed his name to Rockwell. It, Kennedy's... <laughs> Ken, Michael Jackson sang backup, backup on this song because... Kennedy's sister was married to Jermaine Jackson, who, of course, is Michael Jackson's brother. <laughs> so he just asked him if he can sing, and then once he did, the song became just a massive hit. Amazing. Just incredible. You know, when we talk about all these songs, were there any of these songs actually written, maybe Monster Mash, were any of them written specifically for like Halloween? Like, you talk about Mariah Carey and the Christmas music that we all know, was, written, and every artist will put out a Christmas album and a Christmas single. Has anybody ever done a Halloween song, or are these just ones that we relate to Halloween because they talk about something scary? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, because even when you're talking about Superstition from Stevie Wonder, that song is really just about superstition. It's about walking (laughs) under a mirror, uh, walking under ladders and breaking a mirror. It wasn't really until he appeared on Sesame Street in 1973 where that song became just an annual hit. And it wasn't just the fact that, I mean, he didn't perform it with scary monsters, but it kind of made it seem like it was a little bit more darker than it actually was because of the monsters that were there. So there's not a lot of songs that people write for Halloween. Even Werewolves of London was just a song that was created back in, you know, long before it was released in 1978. Warren Zevon actually wrote it in the late 1960s and wanted to give it to the Everly Brothers, who are by far, (laughs) you know, the non-creepiest duo that you'll ever find. Um, But it took... Things like putting them in a, you know, uh, an American Werewolf in London movie to make it scary. You know, the time warp in itself from Rocky Horror yeah. isn't really a no. Halloween song, but you stick it in a, you know, really bad horror film like Rocky Horror, and all of a sudden. <laughs> Every year, you got to play it. No, you're so right, and and there's a list that comes up every year. Um, in terms of people making Halloween music, has that happened? Like, has anybody ever done like a Halloween album? I, I can't think of any. No, but I I do have artists that when they do a little bit of a darker, creepier song, I'll go out to the media as a publicist um, as a Halloween-themed song, knowing full well that, again, on November the 2nd, it kind of kills the vibe and and the buzz of whatever you have on it. So I think people have to be really, really cautious. And, you know, that's the problem, I think, with doing holiday music, is that when you're a brand-new artist doing a holiday song, you're competing against the greatest 
holiday music of Bing Crosby and Elvis. For Halloween, even though that, you know, you have Seasons of the Witch by Donovan and Ray Parker Jr., there's not a lot of them, but there's still, like, how many more Halloween songs do you need? And so that's, (laughs) you know, that's part of the issue is, like, after, you know, an hour's worth of it, are you really looking for more? So it's a little bit of a two-edged sword. There's some people that have made horror and creepiness part of what they do as as their musical act. I'm thinking Rob Zombie, Alice Cooper. I mean, do they do big Halloween extravaganzas ever, or is it just, uh, you know, do they make a, a day of it as well? I think in the 1970s, except for Rob Zombie, who wasn't around, yeah. even a band like Kiss seemed to be um, seen on those ABC Halloween specials with Paul Lynn back in the day. Um, and so you know, even Kiss did a, a kind of Halloween-themed horror schlocky movie um, called Phantom of the Paradise. And that was their, their takeoff of Phantom of the Opera. But there weren't a lot of, I think, you know, I mean, Alice Cooper was Halloween all year round. All year round, yeah. So, you know, you can go see him in an outdoor festival in July in 110 degrees in Arizona, <laughs> and he would still pretend that he just cut off his head during the encore. Yeah, exactly. Um, which, you know, awesome. Um, but realistically, I it, it's, it always kind of... Look, music is always to be used as an escapism anyway. So most of the time, you're using music as uh, a way to forget or as a way to remember. And when you can kind of push the edge of what you think horror really is, and it's an all of an act, that's where you end up with Alice Cooper being able to do what he does at night, but during the day, play golf with presidents. Exactly, it's, yeah. just, it's just a <laughs> schlocky thing, which is kind of why it gets a little bit too weird when somebody like Marilyn Manson starts to get into trouble and you know gets charged with various activities from the police because maybe he pushed himself too over to the edge of what he thought you know, he should be. No, yeah. And, and that's where that line gets a little bit blurry. You're right. There is that line because, I mean, part of rock music is the theatrics that go around it. And there are there's a long list of bands that lean into gore and horror and all the rest of that stuff. And you're right. Marilyn Manson seems to be. And Ozzy. Ozzy got himself into a fair bit of, of <laughs> yeah. trouble, too. But, but, yeah, but the main difference is that Ozzy really can't remember. That's right. He, and so, he really didn't know, care. Or that if he's telling you it, you can't really understand him what he's saying. But, you know, with, with a song like Thriller by Michael Jackson, I mean, you know, in the beginning of it, um, he had that little couple of lines that said that this is not his personal beliefs, because he was a Jehovah Witness at the time, and they didn't believe in zombies, they didn't believe in, in gore and, you know, the afterlife. So even though that he had to put it in there just to make sure that he didn't upset the reputation of the Jehovah's Witness organization, he knew that this was still him having fun, that it was all fun and games until somebody else got hurt. Hey, I wanted to ask you, and I don't know if you know the answer, Eric, but as I was looking at the iTunes charts on Halloween, and I'm seeing Ghostbusters and Monster Mash and What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong, which (laughs) may well be the greatest song of all time, is in the top 10. What's going on? Why is Louis having a moment? 
Yeah, Louis always having a moment ever since that the record label lowered the price to sixty nine cents okay. as opposed to a dollar twenty nine. <laughs> so whenever you see things like um, really really old songs like Phil Collins in the air tonight yeah. suddenly jump to number five, it, that's really what it is. But then there's also you know I, I think there's always songs like Fleetwood Max everywhere. Um, right now is number six, not only because it's blowing up on TikTok, but it's one of the biggest car commercials in the world right now that Ford is using it for their 2023 line. So um, so sometimes it's the commercial, but sometimes it's the actual price. Is that a thing that artists have, they have to be aware of this now. TikTok is huge, and if you can get into a commercial, suddenly a song that's you know you haven't made a penny off in 30 years can be a cash cow for you again. It's astonishing. I was actually talking to Andy Kim about this a yeah. couple of days ago where he co-wrote Sugar Sugar, and there were there was a meme video that was going around on Instagram of this dancing skeleton that looks kind of not really scary, but he's dancing in graveyards and in really spooky places to the Archie Sugar Sugar, which is probably the, the happiest song <laughs> yes. ever written. Um, he's going to be getting a very large royalty check from that and it you know he always used to um every year but you know moments like this is where we talk about the social media algorithm yep. where nobody can predict what facebook's computers are thinking except for if you always want bad news you're always going to get bad news because it knows what you're yes. thinking when songs like this suddenly come out of nowhere it's unstoppable. We saw this with Buffy St. Marie a couple of years ago, um, and we see this with a, a, a Canadian band called Mother Mother, who just for no reason than having a song with one line um, being more relevant during COVID and isolation, suddenly teenagers across America were using that for their dances through no fault of Mother Mother yeah. and through no doing of the band. So when something like this happens, you just duck and get out of the way and try not to screw it up. Yeah, like, like Kate Bush with running up that hill from Stranger Things. Yeah. You never know when lightning's going to strike. And you're right. If he does, just, just enjoy the ride as long as it lasts. Yeah, well, you know, what's interesting about that one is, like, you would think that most of Kate Bush's popular songs would be rising as well. You would suddenly see all these teenagers starting to wear yeah. Kate Bush t-shirts like Nirvana <laughs> or the remote. But it hasn't happened that way. Kate Bush is running up the hill. is only really affecting Kate Bush is running up that hill, which is, you know, not to say that her catalog isn't worthy, because she's just a legend and a genius, yeah. um, and hitting a billion streams on Spotify Jeez. for that song. But there's no real spillover as opposed to, say, you know, Fleetwood Max every where, where you know that Rumors is suddenly going to be getting a jump. Yep. The Greatest Hits is going to be getting a jump as well. Yeah, Fleetwood Mac's everywhere ever since that video. Yeah, no doubt about it. Eric, great insight as always. Thanks so much. Happy Halloween, bud. You too. Thanks so much. Thanks, Eric. That is Eric Alper, who is a freelance music publicist and a serious XM host. And um, yeah, it's kind of, it's amazing how something will take off like that. And, you know, a song that hasn't been around for a long time is suddenly just massive. A huge, huge, huge hit. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. 
<laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.